Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. I'm not a cop, are you? WKRP in Cincinnati. Hey, fellow babies, welcome to a WKRP cast extra. This is a special edition to our season two episodes. We're not doing an episode today. Instead, this is our full interview with Janet Mishad Wells. Janet delivered the tarts in season one during Goodbye Johnny. She was also married to WKRP music director Tom Wells and a personal friend of Hugh Wilson's. We're not usually an interview show. Normally on the WKRP Cast podcast, we do reviews of full episodes of the original WKRP in Cincinnati. In a regular episode, you'll find trivia, clips, drop-ins, and more. We're not doing any of those things today. Please make sure to also check out a regular episode of the podcast. Okay, that's the disclaimer. If you're still here, it means you want the extra. Let's get into it. When we first met Janet in Goodbye Johnny, we didn't reach out. It was a fun part, but she was only in one scene and she wasn't on any of the station sets. We didn't think we'd have a lot to talk about when it came to that episode. Then we got to baseball and we took a closer look at Hugh Wilson's career as a director. That's when we found The Bagel Report. If you've listened to baseball, you know how we geeked out on The Bagel Report. TBR is a feature-length movie that was written and directed by Hugh Wilson. It's the first time he ever tried to tell a full-length story on film. They shot it in 1971 and into 72. It was completed in the first half of 1972 and screened in Atlanta that summer. The Bagel Report is like finding cave drawings when it comes to tracking the creative evolution of Hugh Wilson. Even though bagel talent and support people were working for little or no money, there were still expenses. This is back in the days before everyone had easy access to video cameras. Hugh shot The Bagel Report on film in Joe Shelton's studios in Atlanta on a $40,000 budget. Much of the financing for the movie came from a second mortgage on the Wilson's home. To talk about it, The Bagel Report sounds nuts. It's a sex comedy in the style of Woody Allen. The title is a play on The Kinsey Report. The whole movie is a series of vignettes about sex as told to the central character, Dr. Bagel. No one is really having sex, but they're talking about it to the point the Bagel Report was given an X rating. If the premise isn't crazy enough, get this. Dr. Bagel is played by Bill Dial. You know, first season story editor Bill Dial, the guy who wrote Turkeys Away. Bill and Hugh have been friends forever. We found a cast list. Janet Mishad Wells was in the Bagel Report. Knowing that, we had to reach out to Janet. Janet is a hoot. She got right back with us, and she was ready to talk about Hugh, about Atlanta, and about the Bagel Report. We scheduled a Zoom get-together. There were cocktails, there were laughs, and there was a ton of great information about Atlanta Hugh. Atlanta Hugh was a different guy than Hollywood Hugh. Atlanta Hugh was buttoned down, corporate. He was president of Burton Campbell Advertising and a budding filmmaker. 
Tom Chihok told us this was all new information for him. He said Hugh never talked much about the life he had before coming to Hollywood. Max Tosh said he thinks he remembers Hugh screening a VHS of The Bagel Report in the writer's room during either the first or second season. He recalls seeing Bill through the grainy footage. Aside from this one viewing, there doesn't seem to be any other mention of the Bagel Report around the WKRP set. So, fellow babies, sit back and enjoy a talk with Janet Meshad Wells, wife of WKRP music editor Tom Wells, personal friend of Hugh Wilson, and one of the intrepid performers who helped bring the Bagel Report to life. As Janet says, since it's about Hugh, you might want to grab a cocktail. Anyway, but he still does his band here because this this living room, I'll show it to you whenever you want. And you can see <laughs> that it's all of Tommy's guitars. The WKRP um, sheet music is framed and up and piano drums and they all stay up. I never I decorate <laughs> with speakers and amps. So that's the decor. Huh? It is. That's the decor. So, so uh, now, now you say the son in, in, did you say in, in Washington or Oregon with a sound studio? Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. He's okay. got a sound studio and he is a great musician, plays he, anything. Yeah. So he His, kind of apprenticed with dad, learned learned at uh, dad's studio? Yeah, his dad, he, he would run out of his bedroom in high school and say, what's a C chord or what's, the, what's, the e, what's a minor, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And then he... Um, he ended up being a sound engineer himself. Tommy started off as a copywriter and then became a sound engineer and a composer. So, and then his son is a, a composer and sound engineer. Now, what was Tom, what did Tom call the studio there in Atlanta? Doppler, D-O-P-P-L-E-R. He founded it in 1967. He used to uh, work with the Atlanta rhythm section before they were the Atlanta rhythm section. So Barry Bailey and all these guys. Anyway, so and so he had a small studio in Doraville, and that's where that song came from, Doraville. Doraville, touch a country in the city. Doraville, it ain't much but it's home. Because that's where they all were. And then he... Doppler Studios. And and he founded that himself, built it from the ground up, right? Yep. Founded that himself. And then it got bigger. And then he got a partner. And it got bigger. And then he went out to the West Coast and recorded. But he just didn't do another studio out on the West Coast. He didn't need to do that. Now, did he found Doppler with the intent of producing bands? Or was he wanting to do jingles? Or what, what was the... Just everything. Jingles, jingles and commercials. And then the next thing you know, he is doing bands. But as it got bigger, and then, you know, in those days, you went, I think he started off with an eight track, maybe four, maybe eight. I know. And then went to 124 track. He had one studio. He had ended up with seven in the same building. Oh, wow. And yeah, huge, huge one where, you know, orchestras could come in or at least pieces of orchestras back in the day when it wasn't all synthesizer. Yeah, and where you had to have, have 
people lugging in real instruments and getting real instruments piano in there <laughs> well we had a huge baby grand in two studios and they were um steinways well one was a yamaha because they're brighter yamahas are a brighter sound so yeah. anyway he did that was tom from atlanta he born and raised there or he was he was born and raised here kind of sort of he was born in bermuda in 1941 during the war and his father who was an architect was also helping build emergency landing fields in bermuda so that's why he was born there three months later they were back in atlanta but he grew up here oh okay so that now when did you come to atlanta i came here in 65 after i graduated from college and i and you said and he, you were hearing this guy on the radio is that what you hearing this jingle called uh the mayor in berkeley diamond ring which ended up a song called my one and only diamond ring uh with uh not rca it was up in new york a, a big label and they both you know they but it never became a big hit other than selling diamonds but that was <laughs> it was it was it was a jingle but you yeah. you told me now we talked yesterday. I I'm or a couple oh, of cheers, days. Cheers, by the way. Oh yes, yes. That, yeah, that's something I want to talk about too. You mentioned that if we're talking about Hugh, we need to have drinks. We we need <laughs> to have drinks. And and everything and this is a dark one because I had to throw bitters in it. I really didn't you know, sometimes alcohol doesn't agree with me, but I just decided we're doing this. All right, we gotta gotta do it right. Doing this. So, yeah. so how did it go from hearing the jingle on the radio to winding up marrying the guy who was doing the jingle on the radio. What, Isn't that, that funny? Yeah. Well, because I I had a degree in theater from Webster University in St. Louis, but I was from Birmingham, Alabama. And my friends, we all graduated from college and gathered together in Atlanta. And I was going to get a fellowship. I did not get, I had a fellowship to get a master's in theater in Detroit. Anyway, in May at Wayne State University. Anyway, I helped a guy audition for a cabaret theater and I got it and he didn't. <laughs> and I decided I would rather do this because it was like Saturday Night Live. And I'm a I'm a nice asshole. So it was great. I mean, I could be cynical and it was a great cast, actually. And the music was great. We really had quite uh, a following. So he, that hits jingle that he did got him into the studio business because this guy, have you ever heard of store broadcasting? S-T-O-R-E-R, -E store. Uh, oh, they yeah, owned yeah. A, yeah, they owned a lot of television stations. So he invested in Tommy to do jingles because he oh, thought he was great and set him up in Doraville in the studio. So. When Tommy came to the Wits Inn and saw me, he didn't want to be a, a, a next backdoor Johnny. So he uh, booked me on a commercial. Oh. <laughs> and when and that's how I met him. I came out and I thought he was just a flunky engineer and went out with the announcer for, for lunch. And that pissed him off. So he fired the announcer, redoes the spot. And the minute I walked in, he said, you want to have lunch? <laughs> and I said, I guess I do. And uh, we laughed so hard. He was so funny. He was a funny guy. So now, 
I get this sense from people that I've talked to that worked with him. And he's one of these guys that just music was in his DNA. It was just, it, genetic, it was. Right? It, yeah. it could... He only really created on guitar. He wished he had taken piano, but he, and he didn't take arranging. He didn't, he didn't do notation, but he spoke musician and they'd get in the studio and he knew chords. I don't know what he, yeah. because that's what he did in college. He played the guitar. He taught himself to play in college. <laughs> so he would go in the studio and he'd say, okay, I want you to riff this way. And I want you to do a B7 and C, B7 and C. And he had it all laid out for him on a sheet, uh, sheets, but it was all written chords mm -hmm. and, and, and meter measures. And that was it. That's how he did. He didn't hum, but he, he might as well have. <laughs> I, so but he just, he just, yeah, he had music in his in his blood, but my oldest can play any instrument. So how long from walking in, getting asked out on a date to you guys walking down the aisle? What uh, what was the turnaround there? Well, I would say we, we kind of met in the last part of 67 and so 68 and we got married in October 69. So you do. And also in October of 69, Hugh and, and yeah, Sandra, Sandra, they got married October 19th of 69. What was your date? Uh, October 4th. Oh, okay. So but, you were you were married just a couple weeks before they were. Now, yeah, but our you, wedding was bigger than their wedding. Did you know, <laughs> you knew them at that time, right? You guys were oh, friends with yeah. them at that time? Oh, yeah. So, because I started doing commercials, voiceovers. That's what I've done mostly. Uh, about starting 1965, 66, 66 probably. And Hugh, I worked for Hugh all the time. And we worked together. I might have known Hugh before I knew Tom. Oh, okay. Cause see, yeah, because I was working in the studios. And then I met Tom in the late 67, uh, okay. like December. Sandra went to work for Atlanta Models and Talent. She was like a, Secretary, someone said she was a general manager, well, but whatever. Yeah, it was it was in that write up? I said, yeah, I think that she was. Yeah, no, I didn't manager. have it. I was a talent at Atlanta Mountains oh, in town. I see. I see. Okay. I was one of the clients, oh. so I was. I, I worked at Whitson. It was called the Whitson Cabaret Theater. I was there until night from sixty five to seventy four. So however long that is nine years and and every and in, in that time i did stage two i did voiceovers i did film and i did the bagel report as an actress that's that's what we want to talk about <laughs> and that's just on cue here comes donna hey donna i fixed myself a drink because we're talking about hugh wilson so we have to drink oh <laughs> interviewing you in wkrp we have kind of already met you on the show because you delivered the tarts during goodbye Johnny and yeah interrupted, interrupted less uh, so so we did a little bit of a background and a bio on you there on the podcast but the thing that made me reach out and call you was this bagel report <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna I, I I haven't had a chance because well I'm doing are you doing your taxes? Oh, I mean, yeah, always. I, just, I seem to always be doing taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. And I'm doing mine right now. So anyway, it's just, I. but I know somewhere down, I call, I have a downstairs area. It's a luxury landfill. 
it's full of old furniture and stuff nobody wants anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, no, somewhere if, in if there. You find it. I'll digitize it. I'll get it digitized because we've got okay. to preserve that. We've got to do that. <laughs> I, I have it somewhere. <laughs> All right, so in and then in '69, you got you already know Hugh and you know Sandra. Uh, oh yeah, you and you and Tom are together. When she fell when, in love with Hugh. Woo. So when did Hugh first say to you, "Hey, I got this script"? Because for me, this is this is like cave drawings in the evolution of Hugh Wilson. This is his <laughs> very first writing and directing gig and i'm just how did how do you say to your friends hey i'm gonna make a movie how does that happen well that's how it happens he just (laughs) and everybody knew that he was new funny he knows funny and um and so and everybody loved working with him he was crazy Uh, he was crazy fun to work with hilarious and so um when he said he was going to do this movie, everybody stepped up to help him. So he asked us all. I'm trying to think. I don't think he paid anybody. I'm not sure. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't think he did. I, I don't. I don't remember getting. Well, everybody. I mean, I think Tommy gave him the studio to work in. People. Oh, you found the name Joe, of the Joe Shelton. Joe, Joe Shelton, Shelton shot. I'm you know. not sure they charged him. I think. It, well, I'm. I know he spent. He had he spent what forty thousand dollars on it. Yeah, he, so which I know is, he, but he had to do. Some, that's not craft services on most movies. You know, you can't pay people <laughs> for forty thousand. I know, I know. Anyway, he he really uh, he really did a. Uh, I thought he did a good job, but <laughs> it's just so a little. Did you so did you see a script first, or was a lot of? Yeah, there was a there. Were, yeah, there was a script. You know, especially for Hugh and I played Masters and John Stone. You've heard of Masters and Johnson, Masters right? Masters and Johnson, yeah. So yeah. we played the doctors, Masters and John Stone. So he had to, you know, get equipment. He had a he had a table, you know, a hospital table in front of us and all that kind of stuff. And uh and a nude couple and all these fake <laughs> wires on top of them, you know. And like we were, you know, charting everything that they were doing and all that kind of stuff. So he had all this equipment. I mean, he had to pay for a bunch of stuff, lighting, and uh, you know, and he had to pay for crew. He did have crew. He had he had gaps, and I mean, after all, he did a lot of commercials. He he understood film, and he understood all that. Yeah, he was doing them in thirty second chunks before. Yes, yeah, a little he bit with the ad agency. So yeah. Yeah. Now, also in this mix is Bill Dial. Oh, yeah. Bill now, Dial. How it feels like after the research we've done on the show and, and the research we've done on Hugh, he, I have a brother that I'm not as close to as I think Hugh was with Bill Dial. What, what was that relationship? Those guys seemed just inseparable. They, they did everything together. Uh, Hugh took Bill with him to Hollywood. What was that like in the late 60s, early 70s with Bill hanging around? I tell you, it was disgusting as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> they wore their baseball caps backwards. God, I hate that. I hope you don't do that. <laughs> no. You don't do that, dude. No, no, no. <laughs> Donna would leave you, Alan, I'm sure. <laughs> but, you know, and watch games together and smoke and drink. 
you know, and, and he, they were guys, guys, you know, but, but Bill was very, very understated and he was very, very overstated, just, you know, way oh, overstated. So kind of complimented each other then. They did. They did. And, okay. and everything. And Bill just adored you. He really did. So. You know, something Tom Chihawk told us, who was uh, one of the story editors on the first season, he said that they always kind of looked up to Bill in the writer's room, and he said he thinks it's because Bill was the closest to Hugh. Uh-huh. He just was an old, old drinking buddy. So that, that even oh, goes yeah. back to this. So. Yeah. Yeah, we hung out together, all of us out there. Uh, in Atlanta, we hung out together, and out there, we hung out together. But when they had their falling out, Tommy gave and I gave a big party where everybody had to get on a bus and we toured the stars homes. We made a big thing of chili and we all had to dress up like tourists and, you know, be touristy (laughs) and all that. And uh, so we, you know, we're so used to Hugh and Bill being together. And we were friends with both of them. And Tom didn't know what to do. He didn't know how, how to they'd, add them. They'd separated. They'd split. And, and both of them said, well, if he's there, I'm not coming. And the other said, well, if he's there, I'm not coming. Oh, boy. And so this, Tommy just. This was in, this was during. In L.A. Second season of KRP. Yeah. Yes, it in was. The, middle of the second season. They, yeah. they just had a big falling out in a writer's session. And I don't, did, did Tom Chiak know why? No, because see, Tom left after the first season. He wasn't there. Bill Bill was in the writer's room with Tom that first year. And then the second year, Bill was promoted to producer. He was taken out of the writer's room, and he became a producer on the show. And they got a new writer's room. So Tom Chihawk was let go at that time. And then Bill was made uh, producer. Blake Shelton became an executive story editor. And they got new people in as the story editors. So the, all of that shakeup happened before this split happened and i'm i'm wondering you know if if that was something the the move kind of caused that pressure and given bill new duties or what that might have been i kind of remember maybe hugh i mean bill didn't like something and you know as producer he had more power could be this i'm um and and i remember him saying i don't you know he didn't like something that he was doing well i think i i heard you threw something at him Oh boy! He, yeah, that he he got that mad that he threw something at him and said, "Well, we're done here," and he was so mad at him. So it was tough because we were so used to all being friends. So then Bill moved on to another series that was like a cop show. I can't remember what it was. It was very popular, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, and uh, and they never it. got back together as friends ever oh, again. Boy. That's a that's a shame, but but at this time, at the Bagel Report time, oh, uh, Bill was the, the star. Guys. Yeah. Oh yeah, Hugh <laughs> uh, made him the star. He was the one that carried the theme through, and I can't remember. I mean, he, there were some funny scenes. It, it it wasn't even pornographic. It was Woody Allen pornographic, you know, with his. But when uh, risque, but going for the joke. It was all vignettes. It was all Jones wrote about he had women's panties on his head, but he was a chain smoker and they caught fire. (laughs) 
I don't remember, but I guess so. So you'd have been then in your scene with Hugh, but then really not in on the other vignettes when they were happening. No, I did. Oh, oh, I did. Were you just kind of helping on all of it? I did what I considered to be one of the funniest scenes in it. (laughs) Hugh and I played an amoeba that was having sex. (laughs) So, you know, an amoeba, when it has sex, it just splits, you know. That's what it does. So we were the voices over it. And we ad-libbed it as it went. And fine, I, and then he he split the amoeba. We, well, we had an old film of, a, of a, an amoeba on a microscope. And, and, and it, it's doing all these gyrations just before it splits. So we're, we're acting like it's sex. You know, uh, oh, you know, and it's just gyrating on the screen. Well, when it splits, he goes, oh, that's great for me. I said, too soon. You're always too soon. And, and so, but we just made it up, you know. And uh, so that was my favorite scene. But Bill Dial was a great narrator. And he knew how to really handle film. He was good. He was solid. Sorry that that you don't see the film, but you will. I never forget when I first moved to LA, I was trying to get work, and they said, "You got any film on you?" I gave them the Bagel Report, the scene I was in as Masterson Johnson. <laughs> that casting director the next day liked to have killed me. She said, <laughs> "I can't believe you gave me that <laughs> for this for the uh, you know screen sample." I said, "Well, you think don't you think I did a good job?" <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a little it was a little risque though right it was yeah like... <laughs> yeah when you got a nude couple in front of you gyrating but i was thinking of my acting it was like but didn't you think i was doing a good job all right now now this completed in early 72 he was done with it about yeah. then because this article we found was in january and it sounded like it'd been going on for a while i found one place somebody said that this screened in an art house in atlanta but i couldn't find anywhere else and you said you remember it did show yeah in an art house in atlanta yeah it was an ansley theater i think it was called the ansley theater or the ansley art theater and it was run by a man who had two names he was an actor but he owned that theater and he, he his acting name was bestoic dooley and his real name was George something. I think he was Lebanese like me, but I can't I can't remember what his last name was. Or maybe it he was did, Greek. It did show. So who was? Oh, it did. Was oh, it did. And it got a great review. Was it? A it got a great review. Friends or was it just open to anybody or anybody? Who showed up. Yeah. Anybody who showed up. Was it a crowd? Well, there was a crowd that first night that we were there. And I, I, you know. But I I don't know. I think Hugh himself pulled it. That's how I remember it. That he wasn't proud of it. Oh really? Oh, he didn't like it. Well, well you know, he. That, that's the reason why he's he was great. He was professional. You know, it was amateur night. Truly, I mean, it, I thought it was good, but it was amateur night. <laughs> so he just pulled it. Well, and he quite famously a perfectionist rewriting and rewriting and rewriting everything that's right happened on all the KRP episodes and so I can see him yeah well and and also they talk about he wasn't just the writer the producer the director he'd run and get coffee he was doing everything oh yeah 
He was he told him he told us he he takes care of our playpen that actors are just children. And we are. <laughs> and we are. I loved it at his house when he would write and everything. He had behind him a wall full of resource material that he could pull out like a library file. He could just pull out anything he was researching because he really did research like the first wives club. I mean, he really did a lot of research on that and and he did a great job that that movie runs all the time on HBO. What year was it then that you guys, you and Tom then made the migration West? Well, we moved out there in 74. I started right away doing commercials like squeezing the Charmin and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And, uh, and I got on in a workshop with the Harvey Limbeck workshop with John Ritter and Robin Williams. God rest his soul. God rest both their souls. I can't believe those guys are dead. But anyway, and uh, so I got Tom a job because of that workshop with a guy who wrote all the Batman shows on uh, television. Oh, uh, Stanley um, Friedman. Stanley. No. Bob well, anyway, we can look that him. up. But Stanley hired Tommy to do a theme for a show called The Calicax. And that kicked Tommy off because that was good. It was a country thing and he could really do that. And um, and then uh, I started working on The Dukes of Hazard, did a part on that. And a part on the Bob Newhart show. And I hooked him up with Patchett and Tarsus. And Patchett and Tarsus were the writer producers for uh, the Bob Newhart show, but they were in with Grant Tinker. Well, and, and they, they were they were they friends met of Hughes. Hugh at Armstrong, at Armstrong Flooring is where they met Hugh in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, I think it was. They in went Atlanta. through Atlanta because they used to be a comedy team. Okay, and well, we all went to hear went to see him in Atlanta. And that's where we all met. And they all came to my our house. Tom and I were married at the time. They all came to our house. God, those are funny guys. <laughs> those are funny guys. Patchett and Tarsus. Well, see, and I, uh, before Hugh was with Burton Campbell, he was Bert, with Armstrong he, Flooring. And that's where he met them. Was at was at Armstrong. Is where he met uh, uh, Patchett and Tarsus. I'm pretty sure. Were they doing a commercial head, for him? So I don't know. I, I yeah, it was something to do in the in the creative department there and there probably their so because department. yeah, Patchett and Tarsus started out as a comedy team, and they might have gotten a job doing a commercial for that. That makes sense. I mean, we have to make some of this up, you know, but th- because <laughs> but that makes sense because for some reason we all ended up going to see their show. They were booked in Atlanta somewhere, and it was Hugh that put us there. And then I hit it off with them, and Hugh obviously did. He he, he really liked their humor. And then um, they, um, they're the ones that went, whoops, I did it again. I'm holding this phone. They're the ones who went to L.A. first, and they got that job with Grant Tinker. And, you know, I think they worked on the Mary Tyler Moore show maybe right. first as a writer. Right. And, the, and then they had the Bob Newhart show. They launched that. And then when Hugh came out, he got to work on the Bob Newhart show. And then, then he came up with his idea on and on for the now, WKRP. It was about 76 that he came out. Would that be about right? 
when he sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. And you guys, was he, you know, in contact with you, hanging out with you while he was out there? Absolutely. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He had a, he had a cheap old apartment somewhere. We were living in Sepulveda, you you know, which sounds like the part of a woman's body. And, uh, we, we, and, and we were all struggling in one way or another, but, uh, yeah. He came out there. Well, I think we bought that house in 76. We had an apartment in, in uh, Santa Monica first, but I don't think, I think by then we had a house. But anyway, yeah, you came out, lived in, I, it was like he lived in Burbank. There's no worse place in the world to live in this. You never want to live in Burbank. <laughs> and uh, so he did that and everything. And by then he was with charters, of course. And everything, and, and had the job. He came out with a job already at Mary Tyler Moore, right? He was, he was yeah, he was gopher, but connected he was, to yeah with Patchett and Tarsus because of Patchett and Tarsus. Okay, so they they got it. Tom and I just went out there. Bam, we just went out there, and it was because I interviewed with an uh, an agency out there, and um, I, I I can sell some shit, y'all, and so apparently. <laughs> I, I was really good at that. And I immediately started working on commercials and stuff like that. And then that that's how I just, one thing and another, you know how it is, connections. Just like you're doing. Just like you're doing. But you sure do your homework, Alan. That's amazing. I was like, <laughs> wow. It's like visiting home or something. It is. Somebody's stalking you is what it, what it is. Yeah. That's what I'm always worried about. Uh, I don't want the restraining orders. You know? but. <laughs> well, I'm watching. I'm watching. Yeah. <laughs> so there's Donna. She's watching too. Oh yeah, yeah. She's keeping an eye on. So now you told me that the studio, Doppler Studios, Tommy kept that going even when you guys left. So you guys still had a strong tie to Atlanta, right? Yeah, Tommy kept an apartment in Atlanta. And he would fly back and forth to do things at first. And then the more Pete was able to take over just the running of he always just was the studio guy but once now, he could take over pete? pete oh pete caldwell was tommy's partner by okay. the time we moved to la he had a partner of about um several years we got married it's probably from 70 on pete and so pete and tom were 50 50 and see tom was the creative person and pete was the brown shoe Okay. He could really, you know, he knew how to make the money. Tom knew how to spend it. So <laughs> like they, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, does that sound like you too? Is Tom that wanted, how y'all Tom are? wanted new equipment and new toys and new fun stuff. And, uh, and he, he wanted to make sure they made some money off of it. <laughs> That's exactly right. You got it. They were the perfect combination. They really, really were. But so Tom, like you too, must be. Tom was, book- <laughs> Tom was booking some work then in LA though, but bringing it back to Bringing it back to Atlanta, Atlanta. Okay. as much as he could. And then when he got KRP, and of course he loved Atlanta, he brought it all back because he knew all the singers, all the musicians, and they're fabulous. And so Steve Carlisle is fabulous. I'm so sorry he didn't just stay a singer, but. Now, now tell us about Steve and that that connection. How you guys knew Steve, and Steve was in based in Atlanta, right? And that, yeah, because he was a, Steve who would he go was on a to singer. voice the the KRP main theme. That's, that's yes. the guy who's saying that. Yeah, yeah. So, however, these all works in Atlanta. Like this person sings this well, and that well, that well. He used Steve all the time on commercials, 
he used Tommy and he used Patty and Sue Nunn. Their sisters, they had that great sibling sound. They're the ones who sang the Mayor and Berkeley Diamond Ring commercial that made it so popular. And he just used them all the time. And he used a lot of new people. And Steve Carlisle was one of them. And Steve was marvelously talented. But he was also smart. So he could go to work for Crawford Productions. You know, Crawford Productions, maybe. Anyway, and so he, um, yeah, well, you know, when you're a singer in Atlanta, you better have something else in mind, too. (laughs) And unless you're going to do what he did, you know, like jump out there and make a record of KRP in Cincinnati. But uh, it didn't, you know, if by then it just didn't sell like it could have. Yeah, it was a couple of years later, 81, I think. It was, yeah. it was after the yeah. series been on been on. It was in its third season. And, yeah. Uh, now that is something we notice a lot. And so it's not my imagination that anytime we come up with big guest stars or there'll always be this Atlanta connection or this this down in that Atlanta, New Orleans area, and that's a lot of Hughes influence then, right? Uh, Sid oh, Marty yeah. Croft. Uh, Sid and Marty Croft pop up ah. all the time. Uh, did people that have worked for Sid and Marty Croft that were on on Croft shows and now suddenly we're finding them on WKRP? They were around. They they came to Atlanta and tried to do something really big live at the CNN Center, and it it was too lavish and it wasn't good. It, you can't. The lines were too long, but they had rides, crystal rides, beautiful stuff. And yeah, yeah, they use them. They use the Center for Puppetry Arts. We all used each other. We all used each other. So there's a lot of history there. Now I, I gotta I gotta ask you, when you were doing your tart delivery in uh <laughs> in Goodbye John, you had a very definite Midwestern accent. Okay, who wants strawberry tarts? Oh, over here, over here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> As I was saying, it has been my pleasure to know John. They're real little, honey. Oh. We don't care. I shall continue. Tart. Leave me alone. Do you do accents? Yes, I do do accents, but I'm a oh, Southerner. So you okay, hear the you Southern. All right, but you have oh, a definite Southerner. Midwestern accent. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really small, honey. Yeah, I, <laughs> definitely. I mean, she, but, but when I, my problem is this. I have these ears that just pick up accents. And when I was in Los Angeles, I was saved by the bell because uh, they didn't have Southern accents out there. So I didn't have to worry about my accent because I was hearing what I call bastard accent. That's California. It's a bastard accent. So it's Midwest kind of, unless you're yeah, you got from, oh, for sure, when you get up in there and all. But but um, when I get back in the South, I'm doomed. I can't get away from hearing this. If I'm in England, I'm, I have a British accent. And and I used to embarrass my husband so much time. He would say, Janet, you're speaking with a Spanish accent. Well, we're in Mexico, you know. <laughs> and I, the next thing you know, yes, si, senor. I'm not talking about, you know, and he just, uh, and I, I, I can't, I don't know why. I can't, my ears won't stop me from uh, from doing that. But so, so here as voiceovers go, um, I had a problem working for CNN because you can't have a Southern accent in CNN. Right. Not a drop, but I have a drop no matter how hard I try. I have a drop because I'm hearing it 
I'm hearing it. <clears throat> but anyway, but I have, I, that's okay. I still work a lot. That's all right. <laughs> so I, I managed to find other jobs no matter what. During the time that uh, the KRP was on the air and uh-huh. Tom was music director, how much of a day-to-day, week-by-week involvement was that? Or was he kind of called in as needed? Or how did that work? With that it was every week. It was every week. So he was because they were always week. having incidental music. They always have to get from room to room or something like that. You know, always. And he did it all. He did all the music. And he wrote those lyrics for that funeral thing. Did he? And he, he did yes, he did. And he had more fun that, with that. He loved that humor. I think I told you that in our call the other night. We were kind of speculating that Richard Sanders, Michael Fairman might have written that, and Tommy wrote the the music. But you said he did the whole thing. He did. He did I don't know that Richard had any of that kind of talent, really. That takes talent to you know, yeah. yeah, because lyrics have to sync properly with the music. We wrote a musical together, and he almost beat me up because I couldn't get my lyrics to sync properly. He just would always, you know. Now, he was credited for the lyrics on the KRP theme. Are those, those yeah, lyrics? that was smart of Hugh, Hugh because he wanted money. He was always after the money. And I'll tell you, all he did was say, well, I want to change this word to that word. Ah. And he got credit. <laughs> well, and he said, you, you know what Chuck Berry used to do when he worked what? at Chess Records? He was an A&R man for Chess Records. And he would go out and find these bands that he knew they had one hit in them, and that was going to be it. You were, they were going to have one you know, top 10 hit, and then you'd never hear of them again. And he'd always say, I'll sign you, but I want you to put C. Barry on there in the, on the writing line. Because he knew that band was going to be gone six months from now, but that song was going to be around for years. Wow, that's Hugh. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, had uh, nothing to was, do with the music. <laughs> that, he had nothing to do with the music. He had nothing to do with the lyrics until Tommy presented the lyrics to him. And he said, well, I want it to say this, and I want it to say that. And he got, he shared the credit. Got a shared credit. He got a credit for it. (laughs) And it pisses me off, quite honestly, but but that was Hugh. Because Hugh was treated that way. He said, uh, Grant Teeker and and Pastor and Tarsus would say to him, Hugh, here's the deal. You're out. Meaning they're going to take all the money. So now Hugh... Learn that that's what you do. You take all the money. You you've got it. You've got to always you can, be when you can. Gotta, gotta grab it while you can get it. But I don't stay pissed at Hugh very often. Not long. <laughs> but we, then we, politically we split. But the, other than that, I, you know, I'm 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 a Democrat, and I'm sorry if y'all are not, but that's okay. But anyway, <laughs> he just like it was like, oh, really? You really believe that? <laughs> but we still were friends. We were friends to the end. I'm just sorry uh, that he didn't have a better end run. Yeah. You, know, you get sick when you drink too much. Well, and that's something you, you mentioned. If we're going to be talking about Hugh, you got to have drinks. And you said that was a lot of his demon was the alcohol. Was that? Yeah. His demon was the alcohol. It really was. And, and, and I, like I say, he, he kept, he survived it. Most everybody went into recovery. <laughs> <laughs> that was dealing with that demon, but not you. Uh-uh. Nope. Well, and it sounds like he stayed very functional if he was. Oh, absolutely. He much. was very he was, functional. Yeah, he was. Not letting so, it affect the work. Yeah. So what was it like 
working for Hugh Wilson, director. Um, it, what, what is he like directing on a set? Like on the he's report? fantastic because he lets you create. Because he likes to work that way. He was fabulous and fun. So like when we did, I wish I could find the Bagel Report. So when we did that, you know, even like doing the thing with the the tart on WKRP, I got a lot of leeway. But he wasn't directing that. I mean, by then there were a lot of directors and stuff like that. Yeah, they had to bring different people in. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he was fabulous to work with. I loved working with Hugh. I miss him. Well, listen, you guys, I need to go. We're about to go to dinner. Oh, well, certainly. Um, and thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Um, okay. So I'll look for the bagel report. And if oh, you think of anything do. else, and as far as that little theater, it's gone that showed the bagel report. And um, But you say there might be a review out there of the bagel, that somebody did a review of it? Well, it was a review that was done by Channel 2. So it was a television review. Don't recall any any written reviews. I don't recall that. All right. Well, if you can uh, find a tape of it, we'd love to see it. And uh, we can digitize it and even share it uh, on our our Facebook page and our website. That's wonderful. Well, good. Thank Good for you, you so too. Much for talking with us. You are. All right. You're a lot of fun. I wish we were in person. Well, we will be probably. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> you know, I've had my two shots. I've had my vaccinations. I, he, he's I've had one. I got to get my second one in two weeks. But I've had Good. mine. So. Yeah, Good. Good. to meet. Yeah. Well, you are certainly cut out for what you do. And I'm so glad you're interested <laughs> in WKRP. I well, love that sound. We're having fun with it. All right. Take care now. Thanks again to Janet Mishad Wells for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, this is Al calling from the future with one more fun little detail. When we first contacted Janet about doing this interview, we talked for a bit. One of the things we discussed was the WKRP closing theme. It was definitely produced at Doppler Studios in Atlanta, but I've found conflicting reports as to whose voice that is doing those nonsense lyrics. Janet said she didn't think that was Tommy. I asked her if it could have been Jim Ellis. He's the other name we've seen associated with the closing theme. She laughed and said in her very Janet way, Jimmy, yeah, it could be. He's still alive, you know. How about I just call him? She did. I just got a text back from Janet. She said, according to Jimmy, that is Jim Ellis's voice you're hearing on the WKRP closing theme, and Jimmy Ellis wrote and arranged it. That's Tommy Whalen on the guitar. Okay, now, go back to the past. Keep watching our Facebook page. If she finds a copy, we are going to have the Bagel Report digitized, and we will make it available to WKRP cast listeners. Find us on Facebook by searching our page at WKRPCast. And thank you for listening to this WKRPCast Season Extra. Next week, we're back to our regular episodes. Don't miss Carlson for President. May the good news be yours. The 
WKRPCast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!